This is America's Roundtable from Washington, D.C., an initiative of the U.S.-based think tank International Leaders Summit in partnership with Lancer Broadcasting in Michigan. We thank you for joining us on America's Roundtable. I am Jolan Ansami, your co-host joined by Natasha Sardorj, economist and co-founder of the International Leaders Summit. America's Roundtable brings together leading voices from business, government, media, and the public policy arena. Subscribe to America's Roundtable on Apple Podcasts and Spotify, and via YouTube on International Leaders Summit. Visit iLeadersSummit.org. This weekend on America's Roundtable from Washington, D.C., we are truly honored to be joined by Ambassador Ron Weiser. Ambassador Ron Weiser is from Ann Arbor, Michigan, and received his bachelor's degree in business from the University of Michigan in 1966. Ambassador Weiser founded McKinley Associates Incorporated, a national real estate investment company in 1968, and was its chairman and chief executive officer until 2001. From 2001 to 2005, under President George W. Bush, he served as the U.S. Ambassador to the Slovak Republic. He served as Chairman of the Michigan Republican Party from 2009 in February through January 2011 and from 2017 through February 2019. He was elected to the University of Michigan's Board of Regents in 2016 and he currently is a trustee or director of the Gerald R. Ford Presidential Foundation, the Henry Ford, and the U.S. Holocaust Museum. Ambassador Weiser, it is our great honor to have you join us on America's Roundtable. Welcome, sir. Welcome, Ambassador Weiser. My pleasure. Thank you very much. I'm very honored to be on your program. Ambassador Weiser, uh, President Donald Trump announced a V-shaped recovery from COVID lockdowns-induced economic downturn, and V-shaped recovery is now playing out. The latest data is are very encouraging and show that 1.4 million jobs were added in August, and the unemployment rate fell to 8.4%. The Federal Reserve Bank of Atlanta forecasted 30% increase in the GDP in the third quarter. Uh, Donald Luskin, chief investment officer at Trend Marco, commented for the Wall Street Journal this past week that we were at the same level in August 2012, which was three years after the recession of 2009. And he compared it to today, when we are just three months from the trough of the COVID depression. Ambassador Weiser, what are your thoughts about the current state of the US economy, Michigan economy, and the real estate market in particular? This is as difficult to predict as what happened after the depression of the 1930s. When you experience something you've never experienced before, it's very hard to project what's gonna happen. And certainly the comments of the people who you mentioned are apropos of trying to predict something, but I don't know that we can really predict what's going to happen because the impact on the economy is unclear. And I think in Michigan, the question of car sales is, is the biggest thing because of our orientation to automobiles. And and so far, car sales have seemed to have rebounded pretty well. So uh, it's hard to say what's going to happen here. Uh, but uh, certainly, the fundamentals in Michigan seem to be improving dramatically from where they were. The stimulus from the Treasury and from the from the Fed have 
had a lot to do with that. It's brought enormous amounts of money into the economy that nobody expected. I remember looking recently at the, the budget of the state of Michigan, and they thought it was going to be way out of balance because of tax revenues being down, yet the stimulus from Washington made up most of the difference, and so they are able to fund almost everything they had planned to. So I, I think it's very unpredictable as to what's going to take place, especially in the short term. In the long term, I think the economy improves and recovers. I think because we have a good system and uh, we have good fundamentals, and over the long run, we're going to bring ourselves back to where we were. But how long that will take, I think, is a, is a major question that I don't think anybody can answer or predict because we've never experienced anything like this before. We have no historical data to look at. You can make as many models as you want with a computer, but they have to have hard data to, to make those predictions out of it. Everything we're doing now is speculation. There's too many variables. Slovakia benefited from the introduction of the 19% flat tax, the same single rate for corporate and personal income tax. The flat tax then spread in Eastern Europe and led to the reduction of corporate income taxes in other Western European countries. Before President Trump's corporate tax reduction, the U.S. had the highest corporate tax rate of all OECD countries. President Trump reduced the corporate tax rate to 21% and Biden is now promising to increase the rate to 28%. Ambassador Weiser, how do you see the two scenarios of the results of the upcoming elections and their respective impact on the U.S. economy? Because we are a global economy now, companies can be located in any place, uh, especially ones that are doing most of, their, of what they do through the Internet or electronically. And so there's no reason why a, a company that is paying 28% here doesn't move to a place where they can pay 19 or 21%, which is a big a big portion of their profits. So I'm afraid in the long run is if we drastically raise corporate income taxes to even 28% will be one of the highest in the world. You'll see our U.S. economies going offshore again, and our, or even ones that stay here will be doing their production offshore where the profits that are generated from the offshore manufacturing are, are taxed in the country of origin rather than taxed here. So those are all questions that I think that are, people are going to have to make a judgment on. Ambassador Weiser, after the fall of the Berlin Wall in 1989, Eastern European countries, once governed by communist parties, began the arduous task of reforming their economies and judicial systems with less or more success. Reform leaders from countries like Estonia and even Germany's reform efforts after the reunification with the former East Germany led to bold reforms of the judiciary, replacing judges that were loyal to the Communist Party and the state with new judges who could uphold the rule of law and private property rights. Slovakia, which emerged after the peaceful split of Czechoslovakia into Czech Republic and Slovakia, was at a major crossroads when you arrived as the U.S. ambassador to this Eastern European nation and the future NATO member. There was a major risk in the 2002 elections for Slovakians to return to the authoritarian rule of Mečiar, who was a major obstacle to reforms. Ambassador Weiser, your principal leadership affirmed the reform leaders in Slovakia and engaged U.S. presence and leadership to back reforms and the support for the rule of law. Indeed, many other Eastern European nations would have also benefited from this principled approach to advancing the rule of law and real economic reforms, but 
did not. Ambassador Weiser, could you kindly share from your experiences in the U.S. foreign policy towards Slovakia and how can the U.S. maximize our foreign policy objectives in emerging democracies as a win-win policy of establishing the rule of law and thwarting negative influence of China and Russia, especially in Eastern Europe? Well, it's a bit of a difficult question, and you're very kind to say that I had that much influence, but certainly the rule of law is important to businesses as they make a decision of where to put their capital. Capital is, is something that's very fluid. It can move any place at once, and it wants to move to a place where they can have the certainty of the rule of law. And the rule of law includes both having the statutes and laws that are going to make it predictable. And secondly, they have a judiciary that they can know that will be impartial. And those are both important factors. And, the, of course, the judiciary factor is one that has to be determined by the governments that are there. Same thing as far as passing the laws that are certain so that people can have... Businesses need certainty. They don't want, they don't want questions. And so capital will not flow to countries that have those questions. And I think countries where the rule of law has been more in question have not received the kind of capital influx from not only the United States, but from Japan, from the European Union and so forth, they all want that certainty of, of the rule of law. And it's made up of two things. What are the laws, and are they, are they clear and certain? And secondly, is there a judiciary that can impartially impose them on, on businesses and, and, uh, and government? You are absolutely right. The current situation is such that the FCPA, Foreign Corrupt Practices Act, precludes U.S. investors from investing in the countries which are ripe with corruption and lack the rule of law. I know. I had to enforce that, that law that all the way back in the beginning of, this, of the last decade. And, and American companies are fully aware of the fact that they cannot be involved in any kind of nefarious uh, operation that is going to give them, unfortunately, because other countries don't necessarily follow that, we are at a disadvantage at times. And so we have to be able to overcome that through the good prices and, and good management and, and good salesmanship, good marketing. And that sometimes it happens and sometimes it doesn't because the, the communists left a legacy of, of corruption and of bribery. And actually, it's the, the corruption was the, if you like, the grease that allowed the wheels of the communist uh, business to continue to grind forward. Without that, it would not have. And so that legacy has been left in Central Europe, and it's one that's going to take a long time to overcome, in my opinion, perhaps generations. Indeed, Ambassador Weiser. In January 2020, the Pew Research Group released findings on what Americans know about the Holocaust. And the Pew Research Group states, I quote, fewer than half of Americans, some 43%, however, know that Adolf Hitler became Chancellor of Germany through a democratic political process. And a similar share, 45%, know that approximately 6 million Jews were were killed in the Holocaust. Nearly three in ten Americans say they are not sure how many Jews died during the Holocaust, while one in ten overestimate the death toll. And 15% say that three million or fewer Jews were killed, unquote. Indeed, while these concerns are being relayed, we also have noticed the resurgence of anti-Semitism in America and Europe and the growing support for BDS, the dangerous scheme that is pushing for the boycott 
divestment, and sanctions movement targeting Israel. Uh, We also note that a study by the University of Maryland whereby some 48% of registered Democrats and some 8% of Republicans support the BDS scheme. On the Democratic side, 48% said they supported the BDS movement, while only 15% say they opposed it. And these findings came from the University of Maryland Critical Issues Poll, a nationwide survey. Um, Natasha Sarduch and I have spent time in the Judea Samaria region, Ambassador, and it's also known as the West Bank, where we witnessed Arabs and Jews working together for Israeli-based companies. Now, the employment for Arabs provide a way to a brighter future for children and families, and this boycott, we understand, will adversely affect both Jews and Arabs. Ambassador Weiser, what should Americans be cognizant of when looking at the rise of anti-Semitism in America and Europe, and how can engaged American citizens address the concerns of the BDS scheme, which is hurting Jewish and Arab businesses and families in Israel? That's a very multi-part question. Let's start with the Holocaust to start with. Does it really matter whether it was 4 million or 3 million Jews and others, Catholics and uh, Roma, and they were all, they, all of them were butchered, and does it matter whether when, when a two-year-old child's head is bashed against the cement, how many of them it happened to? It happened, and, and there's no question that it happened, it's, and for people to argue about what the number is, is just ridiculous. So that's one piece of this, and certainly having information there so people understand what happened. It doesn't really matter whether people know that whether it's 6 million or 7 million or 4 million. It was an enormous number of people whose lives who were innocent were taken for no reason other than their religious beliefs, which is not something that's inherent in our American society. So that's part one. Part two is BDS. And BDS, as I think you've kind of indicated, is is inherently anti-Semitic. People can describe it as they like, but they've done a very good job, the people in favor of it, of filling the the general population with untruths about what's really going on. And so it's facts and information that can turn that around. I can only speak to the University of Michigan where I'm the regent right now is that there's a strong BDS movement and they took over the the student senate and were able to pass a BDS resolution, which the Board of Regents rejected because it's not appropriate for an endowment to make investments based on political beliefs. It's they should be doing what's best for the university in the long run. This is a, a long-term problem, and, and education and understanding of what's really going on is the only answer to that problem, in my opinion. Indeed, and we truly appreciate your leadership in this endeavor in addressing what is happening in America through the BDS movement, as you rightfully stated, is an anti-Semitic movement uh, that is truly um, uh, influencing the minds of young people, uh, but also others as well. And let's face it, anti-Semitism has been going on for thousands of years, not hundreds of years, but thousands of years. And it's unfortunate that its its ugly head is resurging itself again. But I mean, people are, they use people's fears and prejudices to, to make, to sway them into having those beliefs. Unfortunately, sometimes they turn to violence and, and also to economic things that are, are hurtful to many more than to just Jews.
Ambassador Weiser, you lived the American dream from investing in your first property and apartment building in the late 60s to founding McKinney Associates and building a real estate portfolio valued in 2016 at 4.6 billion in 33 states. Ambassador Weiser, do you think that there were less barriers to building the American dream then when compared to today? I think the opportunities are still there, and this is one of the few countries where people who are entrepreneurs and who are willing to work hard and take risks have an opportunity to get ahead. Think of all the the huge companies right now that are on the stock exchanges that we all talk about, the five great companies, Google and Apple and so forth. Those were all founded by entrepreneurs, and they started with nothing. In some cases, they started in garages with no capital, and look what they've become. And those opportunities are still there, I believe, in this country. That's why I'm such a strong supporter of the kind of system that we have, which many in this country are trying to destroy now. And I understand there's always going to be inequalities because some people are willing to work harder than others, and some people are smarter than others. And some people are willing to take risks and others aren't. And most entrepreneurs take risks during the course of their careers that if they lose them, they lose everything. And if they win them, they are very successful. And those those are things that aren't done in many countries, and we have an opportunity to do that in this country still, and hopefully that will remain, because I think it's what's allowed us to become the industrial and and economic power that we have in the world. Indeed, well stated in regard to the free enterprise system here in the United States that truly allows individuals to take the risks and, and to flourish and prosper uh, as their investments are, are, are successful. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Ambassador Weiser, at America's Roundtable and at the International Leaders Summit, we have actively raised the issue of addressing health care reform and specifically focused on diabetes, which has grown to be a major public health crisis in the United States. And in 2019, the Centers for Disease Control, CDC, reported that more than 110 million Americans are living with diabetes. 30.3 million, or pre-diabetes, a number that is closer to 85 million individuals. Uh, Individuals affected by type 1 diabetes is now totaling nearly 1.6 million Americans. And at International Leaders Summit, we are partnering with physicians groups representing nearly 100,000 medical professionals in America and biotech companies from Israel and India to finding cures for diabetes and to lower the cost of insulin for America's patients. Ambassador Weiser, you and your spouse, I have committed $30 million to the University of Michigan for diabetes research and the development of life-changing diabetes therapies at Michigan Medicine in collaboration with other University of Michigan schools and units for diabetes research. The gift is named for your daughter, who has two sons and a husband with type 1 diabetes, will be used to establish the Elizabeth Weiser Caswell Diabetes Institute. Ambassador Weiser, could you share with us your vision in addressing this serious health issue in America, which is impacting millions of our fellow Americans? I think one of the things that's underappreciated is the number of people who suffer from diabetes and what kind of deaths they suffer. And many people who die from heart disease, kidney disease, and other things, the, the root cause of that is from diabetes. And so Solving this problem is going to be probably larger in impact than even 
projected by some of the numbers you recently you just gave us. But for that reason, one of the, the first centers of excellence, which are partnerships between JDRF, which is the leading research institution for diabetes in this country, and the University of Michigan into a center of excellence, is the first thing I started with, and we supported bringing in JDRF, uh, making a contribution to the University of Michigan and certain individuals, including my, myself and my family, making a contribution so that we could create an opportunity for some groundbreaking research given the, the huge impact that the university has on diabetes research. In fact, the University of Michigan, as I understand it, is one of the largest recipients of NIH funds in the country for diabetes research. So there's already hundreds of millions of dollars being spent, and this is a catalyst to increase that. The creation of the institute was to bring the various parts of the university, whether it's it's bioengineering or or the biology departments or Michigan medicine or other areas together so that under one single roof, those things can be coordinated because there's so much going on at the university. Quite often, the left hand and the right hand don't know what's going on. But between the funding from this gift and the funding from the JDRF uh, Center for Excellence and the additional funding and, and research that's going on in so many different departments and schools at the university, I think there's a real opportunity for a breakthrough here. And for those who don't remember, the Salk vaccine came from the University of Michigan. Jonas Salk was a researcher here when that was first developed. So that kind of a groundbreaking uh, discovery can certainly happen at the university. And I don't care where it happens as long as it does happen, because the death from diabetes is an ugly one, as many people know. Amputations, heart disease, uh, all sorts of other things, sideline diseases that take place because of it. And we've got to do something about it. I mean, it's it's starting to affect our economy because people who, in fact, if you think about people with diabetes, they can't serve in the military. And given the numbers you gave us, as far as the number of people who have diabetes, we're reducing the pool of people who can serve in the military, who can serve in other critical jobs where diabetes could be an, imp an impediment to their successful service. Indeed, we truly appreciate your principal leadership on so many vital fronts of the day uh, in the state of Michigan, the Midwest, throughout the country, and also on the foreign policy front. Uh, your leadership is truly making a difference, Ambassador Weiser. Thank you, Ambassador Weiser. Well, thank you. I'm very honored for you to say those things about me, but I try to do what I can do to make a difference in this world while I'm here. So. I look forward to continuing to do those sorts of things and having an impact, a relevant impact. This weekend on America's Roundtable from Washington, D.C., we were truly honored to be joined by Ambassador Ron Weiser. Ambassador Ron Weiser is from Ann Arbor, Michigan. Ambassador Weiser founded McKinley Associates Incorporated, a national real estate investment company in 1968 and was its chairman and chief executive officer until 2001. Under President George W. Bush, he served as a U.S. Ambassador to the Slovak Republic. He's a trustee or director of the Gerald R. Ford Presidential Foundation and the U.S. Holocaust Museum. This is America's Roundtable from Washington, D.C., an initiative of the U.S.-based think tank International Leaders Summit in partnership with Lancer Broadcasting in Michigan. We thank you for joining us on America's Roundtable. I am Jolan Ansami, your co-host joined by Natasha Sardorj, economist and co-founder of the International Leaders Summit. 
America's Roundtable brings together leading voices from business, government, media, and the public policy arena. Subscribe to America's Roundtable on Apple Podcasts and Spotify and via YouTube on International Leaders Summit. Visit iLeadersSummit.org.